Franklin Tamar, and we're back with another edition of our podcast, Front Porch Conversations, and we have a guest with us today. I think a lot of people think they know, and maybe they do know you, and I think I know you. You do very well, Mindy. But we have Brandy Blanton with us, and we are so excited to be back doing the Front Porch Conversations, and we're here at Eastern Flank Battlefield Park Clubhouse, which is undergoing some renovations. That's why you see like a little construction trailer over there. But this space, this place holds a special place in your heart. It really does. I, I don't want to kick it off too emotional, but this is a special place to you. Tell us what this place means to you. Man, it's family. It's um, not only is the staff here incredible, but in the last man eight years, we have done baby showers, wedding showers, uh, election campaign kickoff parties. Uh, most important to my family, we did two fundraisers here for my granddaughter. Uh, called Light the Way. Um, so you always think about that when you get here. We've done family pictures down the walkway over there and it's it's like home. It's kind of like the factory was for a long time. It was just where you always landed for that perfect event and this is it for me. So we always try to do these from a porch or from something that means something to someone and when you and I were talking this was a place that came up and it really does um, kind of let you switch a lot of hats and wear a lot of hats when you're talking about this place. But so we said Alderman Brandy Blanton, but if you had to state your occupation, how would you respond? Because it's a tough one. You know, it is. It depends on who I'm talking to or where I am. Um, first and foremost, I always say I'm a mom and now I get to be grandmother, but um, again, I am a city of Franklin Alderman. Uh, three terms in almost but my day job I guess is kind of how I put it is director of development for high hopes so um, yeah so your day job but you are involved in so many things that would almost be a full-time job for some people but you managed to juggle a ton of activities and projects what what draws you to those projects and what are some of those projects well, first of all, the only reason I'm able to do what I do is because of a wonderful husband who is so supportive. We've been married 25 years and um, my children are grown. So I remember the last election cycle, Tom Lawrence and I were talking and I said, you know, I'm just kind of riding the wave that's been built in underneath my feet and I have the time to do more. I think sometimes I maybe do a little bit too much. Um, Gosh, what's important to me um, after my family, um, just being a part of this community in any way I can plug a hole. My husband will tell you my favorite thing is to connect the dots. I love being the person that somebody calls and goes, I need, and I know how to tell them, this is how you take care of that. And often I can pretty much do it. There's been times where I have to make a second call, but um, there's so many things that um, I'm passionate about um, right now I'm passionate about um, beyond my day job which is, is very much a gift you know for years I was a publisher of a magazine and thought I was going to open a restaurant after I left that um, Cassie Jones has done a wonderful job of taking care of my baby Southern Exposure yes and in fact as you know I just got off the phone with the Joneses we're still all family um, proofing a newspaper piece that's coming out tomorrow um, so I will say I live by my Google Calendar. Um, Franklin Tomorrow is very important to me. I've been on that board for 12 years now. It coincides with my 
tenure as an elected official and um, it's a very important piece of the puzzle for this community. And unfortunately, some people don't know what lies underneath the surface and the things that are accomplished with you at the helm and all of us working with you and for you um, and for the citizens. Um, gosh, I, you know, it's funny, I count I'm on 12 boards right now and I, I probably should back off one or two of those just because I can't give them everything I have. Um, I love the Public Arts Commission. I love the Williamson County Convention and Visitors Bureau. Um, I'm very passionate about the Williamson County Homeless Alliance. Um, actually, very proud that I helped get that started with Kevin Riggs. My job for probably seven years now has been to plan the meals and collect the food. And that's kind of how I got started in that. So. Um, and you have a passion project right now that you're working on with a group. Uh, to because of you, yes. <laughs> And that is the Inclusive Playground, the LED Dream World Inclusive Playground project. So tell me a little bit about, tell us a little bit about LEG or Elliot Grace and what this project means to you. So you know it's funny, the older I get, the more I realize that she's kind of pulling the reins on my decision making. Um, if you think about being at High Hopes, it's because of Elliot. Um, if you think about a lot of choices, here I go with the emotions. Um, Elliot was my first granddaughter. She was born in 2015 um, to my daughter Samantha and her husband Brandon. She, we knew something was going on when Samantha was pregnant. We weren't quite sure what it was. And two days later, she was diagnosed with this very rare terminal form of dwarfism. Um, she immediately um, was just loved by not only our family, but when my friends knew I'd gone silent and there was a baby born, everybody knew something was up. So it has been a really unique thing for me to learn to ask for permission before I share their business. Um, for those of you who know me, I'm pretty open, but I got my hands tied behind my back. And later those, you know, I became her sports spokesperson. I kind of called myself her handler. Um, <laughs> But Charles Sargent played a vital role in the services we were able to get for her. Um, miss him every day. Um, there is a state program called Tennessee Early Intervention, and uh, basically that kind of intercedes and gives children care through therapy from zero to three years old. And High Hopes is a vendor for the state. But Elliot's dwarfism, her rhizomelic chondrodysplasia punctata, learn that, was not on the list of accepted diagnoses. So I called Charles and I said, Charles, I need your help. And he said, what is it? And I said, I need you to get Elliot's. It was on the national list, but it wasn't on the state of Tennessee. So that sweet man knew exactly what to do. And within 10 days, her diagnosis was on the list and she started receiving services. Um, I, I count Elliot as the reason why the next child, and I'm sure there's probably been one that's born with that disease, will get services because of her and Charles. And so LEG's Dream World Playground yes. is a project that Franklin Amaro sort of brought to the table many years ago and yeah. then handed off to Friends of Franklin Parks. And we're excited to see that really potentially rising out of the ground starting 2023, but 
where's it at? What's it going to be about? And so we've been thinking? meeting. I go back to my calendar. I think since before 2014. Yes. And Elliot wasn't even born yet. Right. Um, and it came out of our Vision City visits, if I'm not mistaken, because we went to other cities that are like ours, but they had an inclusive playground and we did not. So gathering all those different people who, between Waves and Brightstone and High Hopes and Doug Hood, even back from the days of Williamson County Parks and Rec, um, knew that was something this community needed. Uh, visionary through the city of Franklin, of course, Lisa Clayton being on the cutting edge of all the deficits, if you want to say, that we have. Um, and then, um, as things progressed and it looked like it was going to come to fruition, it's going to be located on the Southeast Park, which is our newest park to come online, uh, larger than Harlandsdale, if you can even imagine that. Um, so Elliott's Dream World will be three acres within that. There will also be 10 to 11 multi-purpose fields and pickleball and all the different amenities that will service not only the southeast part of town, but anybody who wants to go to All it. the rectangular fields. In yes. The, or the, a majority of the ones have been at Jim Warren Park and other places will move to the southeast park, right? So as I understand it, Jim Warren Park will now be baseball, for, like, inclusively and then this will move football and lacrosse and rugby over there um, which just allows our community to have <coughs> a larger space um, it allows our community to have a larger space um, so there's a theme and there's a it's a there's a color and there it is. means a lot to you so tell us a little bit about that so once again right about 10 feet from where we're sitting at the eastern flank we had a committee meeting and I almost felt like I was being set up, but um, it got to the point where we were trying to figure out the name. And um, as we all know, most of these parks have a theme or a person's name that kind of gets them off the ground. And I just explained to everybody, um, I kind of felt like I was being goaded and maybe I just thought that. I said, you know, I said, um, Elliot had passed away when we had this meeting. I said, right here at this very park, when we were doing Elliot's events, um, right over there we had a kids area and it had chefs and musical petting zoo and face painting and things of that nature. And I've told this story many times, but my daughter called and I told her I was working on science for the event. And I said, all right, I'm at the kids area. What are we gonna call the kids area? She goes, I said, that's generic. And she goes, I know exactly what we're gonna call it. And I said, okay. She goes, what about LEG's dream world? And I knew in that moment what she meant was it was a place that Elliot would want to enjoy but never would be able to. So I shared that story with the committee and I, I don't think there was a dry eye in the there house. There wasn't, I'll assure you there wasn't. And it was still very raw because her death was very unexpected. She got a fever virus on a Thursday and by that Friday, I got a phone call, I was at work and they, it, it was my son-in-law and he said, Brandy, she's not breathing, I need you to come. And I still have just vivid memories of how tragic that was. And she was already gone. We did the obligatory go to the hospital, but, um, and just the way from her birth till her death, and even today, the way this community has wrapped their arms around not only our family, but the idea of her smiles and her laughter. And I mean, the child I was telling somebody today, she could never even raise her arms up above her head. In the winter, she'd be wearing spaghetti straps and no socks 
because she was so hot natured. Um, but that committee took that morning and it was kind of like, that's exactly what we thought we were gonna do. We just needed you to say it. So here we are today, um, $600,000 almost. Of a $1.2 million public fundraising goal. Yes, um, it's pretty incredible. Um, so it will come to fruition. I know in our, our early collateral for the park, we talked about 2024 being a target date. We removed that because we knew realistically with all the hurdles this world has between supply chain and workers and maybe even fundraising, we'd probably be best served to just say coming soon, so. Well, it's exciting and it's, it's a legacy project, but um, what other legacy projects do you think you have? Not a selfless plug, but here's, exactly. here's a book that is called Legacy, the Stories of Williamson County from 2002 to 2018. And this is from Southern Exposure. So tell everybody a little bit about this book. So that, I would have to say that's probably one of my proudest pieces. Um, doing a magazine for 16 years and just getting to tell the stories of this community as I was making my exit. Um, a magazine, unless you're a hoarder, is disposable. Um, and there was just too much good stuff. And some of those things were told during an age where you didn't put them online. So Wendy Satterwhite, who was my art director at the magazine when I was there, she and I together put this book out um, as I made my exit. And it is a coffee table book. And it's a piece I'm really proud of. And it really stands to be somewhat of a historical piece that things you can't see or read or hear about any place else. And isn't isn't all the stories from Southern Exposure from that time? Oh, no, not at all. No, um, not at all. But it is stories that are a timepiece. Right? I had carte blanche on the selection, obviously. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to make it as hyper-local as possible. And even since it was published four years ago, so many people have passed away. You look at Tom T. Hall or... Just opened this... Robert this Hicks. Hicks. Robert Hicks. Yes. Um, or, or businesses change hands. Our friends at Solos. Absolutely. Uh, under new ownership. So it is, a, it is something to hold on to. Really. It is. And that was a time, it's funny, I forget. I've always been very diligent about any time I close a chapter, I know that I'm done. Whether that's waiting <laughs> tables at O'Charlie's or um, whatever that might be. And I forget I was a photographer. I forget I was a writer. Um, I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse. Um, but those 16 years really paved the way for so much of what I get to experience as being a Franklinite. So, you, a lot of people, I guess, would think you're a native, well, but you're not. And no. so what brought you to Franklin and how long have you lived here? I'm not a native. I don't even get credit for being, there's no way to go back and achieve <laughs> that. Uh, Evelyn Lund told me that at the funeral home one day really quickly. Um, my mother, um, I was born in Nashville, um, multi-generational Tennessean. My mother got divorced and decided to go be with her best friend in Miami, Florida. So I moved from Nashville in 71, and then she decided she missed home. So we moved back in 76, went to David Lipscomb for a half a semester, lived with my grandparents, and she bought our house over in Idlewood in 1977, and I started fifth grade. Um, at Franklin, what that time was middle school. Yeah, that, that will make you a native, but you got here as soon as you could, right? Yeah, exactly. So, what do you think is the first thing that people will remember about you, or what's the first thing you remember about being 
a grown-up than Franklin. You know, it's funny. There's times when things will come up, and I'll be like, I don't remember that because I wasn't paying attention. And I say that because I had three children by the time I was 21. So while all my other friends were going to Miss Daisy's Tea Room at Carter's Court or, you know, Bennett's Corner or all these places, I was busy being a mom. Um, but now I, I think I may have missed a few chapters, but I think I made up for it in spades. Um, I would I would like to think so. So uh, you've, you've talked about being a magazine publisher of Waitress at O'Charlie's. How long? Did Twelve you years. Twelve years. And I will tell you, it's funny. So I got married at 18 and had three kids and um, quickly um, they are wonderful. But I started a business so I could stay home with my children. It was an ironing business called Pressing Matters. Isn't that good? Okay, that's something I didn't know. You didn't know? No. So that was my first business and I would charge a dollar an item. And this was about 1987. Who were your clients? School teachers, music industry people. Um, and I would go pick it up or they would drop it off at my little condo over on North Petway. And when I put my children down for their naps, I would stand up and iron and watch Days of Our Lives or whatever was going on. Um, but it was a great little business and I did it for about three years. And I was telling some ladies yesterday, one year, and you have to think of the time, this was the late 80s, I made $11,000 that year, which was a lot of money for a stay-at-home mom with three kids. But then you have to think, I ironed 11,000 items that year. So I did, I mean, I worked retail, I cleaned houses, I did accounting for people, which is scary now, but I started going, you know, I gotta get out of this house. So I, oh, Charlie's was the new thing in town, the Fern Bar, do you remember the era at the Fern Bar? Um, the Bungin' Up Pig was here and Bleachers, but I went in, I was the most, believe it or not, naive little just sheltered mom and I, I asked for a job and I got a hostess job and then I went to a server and throughout the year slowly but surely I moved to every different position in that building except for cooking and the bar was the place to make the money and I remember going to my GM and saying can I please get a chance in the bar and he said we can't handle it I'm like what do you mean he goes I just don't think you're tough enough and I was like okay I said, if you give me a chance, I'll prove you wrong. I stayed 12 years and everybody else left. And I will tell you, I learned so much about people in that environment. Not only was I getting to see friends from high school and business owners and things like that, it taught me so much about not judging a person, a book by its cover. I, I got tough, I got strong, I made really good money, and I got to be at home during the day with my kids and my husband would watch the children at night. So. Um, when I did decide to start the magazine, it was almost like the m most organic springboard because here I've been waiting on these business leaders. And when I told them what I was doing, of course they wanted to support me and me better my life. And that's exactly what happened. And so, mm -hmm. so what has changed in the last Let's go with 10 or 15 years in Franklin for both the better and possibly for the not better. Well, obviously we know the change has been the growth. Um, I'm a firm believer that 
new people coming to this community is not always bad. Um, I think the honest is for us to make sure we extend our welcome. And I also think you have to be involved because you can't sit back in your sweet little subdivision and your cul-de-sac and expect things not to change around you. You've got to reach out and get involved and know, find those ways of meeting people who come into town, whether that's a breakfast with the mayors, whether that's, I mean, there's so many different ways to engage new people. The negative of all of that, and I think it, it's a unfortunate frustration for so many natives or almost natives, almost is that we've got this influx of people who aren't from around here who love so much what we have and they come here because they want to be a part of it and then slowly they start telling us that we're doing it all wrong. And that's a really hard pill to swallow. Um, I remember when Saturn was coming to town. Those were during my O'Charlie's days. And I remember the change between Lovett's buses, Mr. and Miss Lovett for FSSD is how you got to school. You paid them. And I remember all of the different people coming, you don't have buses around here, we have to pay for it. And slowly FSSD became having a transportation department. That's a positive. It's not always negative suggestions. I think sometimes it's just frustrating because you came here because you liked what you saw. And there's a reason, and there's a lot of people behind. I'm not even in putting myself in that group. There's a lot of leaders, the Clint Calicotts, the Charles Sargents, the Rogers Andersons, who laid their life on the line to make sure that our community and our home is the special and unique place it is. And respect those people and respect the people around you are still in leadership who are trying to carry that baton on and get involved, but get involved in a way of unifying, not dividing. So you've been on the board, Mayor Alderman, about 12 years. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it as, was it as easy as you thought it was when it started and is it easier or harder today? I learn something every week. And, and then there's some things I'm like, I can't even, like the other night we were talking about, there's these dashboards about these hundreds of millions of dollars. and. You know, everybody has their strengths and their gifts. And, and I'm not saying don't reelect me or don't think I'm not doing a good job because I don't know how to balance a multi-million dollar budget. That's somebody else's strength. Um, I think I bring, I, I, I like what I bring to the board, I think. What is that? I think rolling up my sleeves and getting involved in the community in a really tangible way. Not just sitting in a boardroom and acting like I have some kind of power. I don't have any power. I have relationships. I think my strength is valuing the 800 employees we have that people don't understand without them we wouldn't have what we have. And there's one more project we would be remiss if we didn't talk about that and that is the statue in honor of your dear friend, the late Jimmy, Coach Jimmy Gentry. So Absolutely. tell us a little bit about that and why you're supporting it and why you're involved in it. So I would say the impetus of that, even my relationship, close relationship with Jimmy Gentry, um, I don't call him coach because he wasn't my coach, he's just Jimmy, um, came through History Day on Leadership Franklin. And at that time, the magazine had an office in downtown Franklin and he became kind of one of our hangers on, if you will. I'd put, you know, beans on the stove in the winter and call him and say, we got beans on the stove or soup. Um, so as time passed along and the Public Arts Commission was forming, um, I started thinking about, ooh, what would be a great public arts 
you know, peace. And I reflected back to Jimmy talking about the, he called it the rock fence, um, which is on 5th and Main Street right there by the historic Presbyterian Church. Told many stories about things that went on there from people selling their wares to children playing during the weekends or men sitting there waiting for their wives to quit shopping. But uh, most important was him telling as his voice softened how he and many of his friends would sit on that wall and the bus pull up and take them off to war to fight for our country. It's important enough that the story was never about him. No. Right? And there's, and I'll say publicly, there's been a little bit of confusion, very little. When we talk about how many residents we have, the little bit of, I wouldn't even say negative feedback, but you know, Jimmy knew about the statue. He knew it was something that um, I wanted to see happen. And I need to make sure that people are aware leadership Franklin Carrie Drury, a dear friend of mine, I told her about the idea, and when it came her class of 2020, she said, we have to do a project, can we steal your idea? Absolutely, let's get it done. And that's what they did. They put all the legwork in and found the sculptor. And, and that's Carrie Drury, Andrea Johnson, Lance Stacey Jordan, Downs, Lance Jordan and, and Michael D'Amico. Yes, um, and they did all the heavy lifting, and then COVID happened. And so we thought, you know, Everybody thought we didn't know what was going to happen. So then Jimmy passes away and Carrie calls and she's like, it's now or never. We've got to get this done. So um, through the help of Paula Harris and Julian Bibb with Leadership Franklin, and I've said it publicly, you can't do a project without Julian Bibb. Um, that man is, is my mentor in so many ways. So here we are. We have launched through Franklin tomorrow. Um, it is a statue in Jimmy Gentry's likeness, um, not as a 17-year-old boy, but as the man who posed for the picture two years before his death, reflecting on the memories of that rock wall, rock wall and all of the boys that sat there as well who went off to war to fight for our country. And as he said, many of them never came back, and they were the heroes. That's what he always said, and he's looking at the Veterans Memorial um, Park, which I think is just really fitting. And it's so, got to be in somebody's likeness mm -hmm. and in my that's where it came that's the origin for me and the man dutifully shared those memories of war for the last 10 or 15 years of his life and kept those stories alive and hopefully as you're pointing to that veterans museum and and the archives people will be encouraged to go in there and as paul harvey would say see the rest of the story Involved in the community and meet your neighbors and make new friends.